The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. It's time for a different take on spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter and Reverend Raymond Anderson. Hey everybody and welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter, kind of a spiritual journeyman kind of guy and media producer. I run a website called youthrivehere.com and I'm here with Starfleet Captain Reverend Dr. Raymond Anderson, the Senior Minister for the Center for Spiritual Living in Greater Baltimore. How you doing, Raymond? I'm excellent. And yourself? I'm doing great. Very good. Very good. <laughs> you like uh, that I called you for, by your official uh, title this, this time? Yeah, of course. I'm always ready to boldly go where no one has gone before. I, I always know that. And you know what? <laughs> I, I feel like we haven't given enough due to Star Trek. We've talked <laughs> Star Wars a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, we need to give our due to Star Trek. Of course, yes. Equal time, equal airtime, yes. L- live long and prosper, I say. Always. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. Look at you. <laughs> All right, you ready? Trouble with tribbles. What? Trouble with tribbles, yes. <laughs> uh, All right, ooh. so you, dueling inspirations. My inspiration is better than yours. Yeah, I don't believe you. Well, we'll see. We'll see. You go first. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. So, only when we put our very best into our spiritual work will it satisfy us. A spiritual power is released through true thinking that is as much a law as is chemical affinity. There is no deliverance of the real self without mental conviction. To have faith in God is to follow this faith through by having faith in the self. The real self is God, and as such is to be implicitly trusted. The spark which burns at the center of our own soul is caught from the living and eternal flame of the spirit. Okay. Venture a guess. Ernie Holmes. I'm not playing with you anymore. I'm taking my ball and going home. <laughs> yes, that's exactly who it was. Signs of mine are Ernest Holmes. Good cool. Ernie. Ernie. Good old Ernie. Yes, I'm still waiting for that passage about Bert, but it's all good. <laughs> I'm sure it's in there somewhere. Maybe the extended yes. papers. Of course, somewhere. One of the talks out of Silomar or something. <laughs> yes. 
Your turn. Actually, you'll be speaking on that, won't you? At the next CSL convention? Jim's <laughs> uh, got jokes today. It's okay. Do, do, your, do your, your quote, man. All right. Here we go. <laughs> okay. Mine is, I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community as long as I live. It is my privilege to do for it whatever I can. Venture guess? Myrtle Fillmore. George Bernard Shaw, who might be related to Myrtle, I'm not sure. Oh, okay. And, yeah. And I think their cousin, I've got another one from their cousin. Okay. We can we cannot live only for ourselves. A thousand fibers connect us with our fellow men. That's and cousin Herman Melville. Cool, cool. Good stuff. I mean, we're all related, right? Yes. There, like I said before, there is only one. And uh, I think it was what Richard Bach that said, a stranger is only a friend you have yet to meet. Awesome. Awesome. He, he's a great musician, by the way. Richard Bach. Bach, yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, om Shanti Om. <laughs> I'm so sorry, folks. I know, I know I'm very cheesy. <laughs> it's all good it's and i don't like cheese either so <laughs> vegan cheese is best oh my i won't even that's what i'm told there. that's what i'm told <laughs> here's sarah bowen with a new segment spiritual moment with spiritual rebel sarah bowen hello big universe listeners today we're talking about community for many years i had problems finding my tribe holding on tightly to my individuality I found it hard to feel that I fit perfectly into any single group. Suffering from insecurity, I rejected some with merely a second glance. I flip-flopped between wanting to belong and wishing to be alone so I could be my authentic self. Paul Bourne, in his book Deepening Community, suggests that seeking community is natural as well as part of the spiritual journey. Instead of viewing communities as places developed for rules and exclusion, Bourne suggests they are places to share our stories. Enjoy one another by spending time together, care for each other, and work to build a better world. Being together satisfies our inherent need to feel cared for and to belong, even if the group isn't always perfectly behaved. Bourne describes it this way, quote, Deepening community is the desire to feel safe, knowing that we are part of a community together, that we have our good points and bad, and yet are accepted for who we are. Yes, at sometimes judged and yes, sometimes gossiped about, but never ignored and always included. Deepening community means knowing that with these people, we belong. End of quote. Of course, not all organizations are created equal. Those formed around fear, hate, or a we-will-crush-that-other-group attitude aren't likely to support you in deepening or expanding your spirituality. Neither will ones that try to control you, take away your power of choice, or devalue you and your values. Ultimately, it's up to each of us to find the right fit. So today, let's take a few minutes to reflect on our connection to our communities. Here's how it works. Close your eyes and visualize a couple of interactions with your people. Ask 
Ask yourself these questions, waiting for an honest answer from within yourself. How often am I fully present, giving people 100% of my attention instead of multitasking or staring at a screen? Do my relationships feel balanced regarding terms of giving and receiving? Can I listen to people with views that differ from mine? Am I comfortable with growth and change in my relationships or communities? Feel the answers. Connect with how they feel physically, emotionally, spiritually, and energetically. Take some breaths. Inhale and exhale slowly. Now ask these questions. Are there any people I've met that I'd like to connect more with? Is there anything blocking me from getting to know people more deeply? Are there any relationships or communities in which I feel more nourished or nurtured? Are there any relationships or communities with whom I'd like to spend more time? And are there any people I might benefit from spending less time with? Take another breath. Inhale and exhale slowly. Jot down any thoughts about future actions you might like to take as a result of these reflections. Thanks for joining me for the spiritual moment. For more info on deepening your community, check out my book Spiritual Rebel at spiritual-rebel.com slash universe. And may the source be with you. We welcome Martha Creek with a unity moment. Hi, everybody. It's Martha Creek, marthacreek.com. We're exploring unity principles, the basic tenets of unity's philosophy and five basic principles. This is the fifth of the five. God is. I am. I think it. I pray it. I live it. So that's the summary of the five. So the five, the fifth one we're looking at today is action is needed. It's one of the least popular ones, I believe. Uh, a lot of platitudes around it's all good and God is good and God is everywhere present and God is good all the time. It's another thing entirely to live this out. Action is needed through thoughts, thoughts, words, actions. We must live the truth that we espouse. So it's one thing entirely to say it's all good. It's another thing to actually embody that and to bring it forth in our life and to demonstrate it in the ways we are uh, interacting with people in relationships and in the world. So the fifth principle, I do my best. I give my best by living this truth, by applying what I know. I do this to make a difference. I I do this to make a world that um, works for all. So living the truth that we know, action is needed and this is one of the more difficult ones of the principles because when um, the going gets tough, so to speak, it's pretty easy to um, defer to a platitude or an affirmation or something that we want to believe without ever looking to see what do we actually believe and knowing then that whatever is in my experience that I hold the power through the way what I call this, what I name it, 
how I respond to it, what action I take, sensible, compassionate action for myself and others, that only in this application um, do I, only through and, and entirely through this application can I use this principle of literally walking the talk. So one thing to talk the talk, another thing entirely to walk it. So um, bless you as you begin to walk this, as you see the difference that you make in your own life, and that this fifth principle, that there's not enough to know the truth, that we must also practice the principles through word, action, and thought, as well as prayer, meditation, atonement, alignment, that with the God mind, knowing that we are inherently, inherently good, made in the image and of that of the Creator, not in, not vice versa of that, and that there is a one power and the one presence in all the universe and in my life, and that discussing it and referring to it will not ever make a change in my life. So God bless you as you proceed. Practice the principles, meditate, pray, use silence, whatever you can, and then daily activities to shift our own consciousness to shift my consciousness as we work together. Together we can do what we cannot do alone to make a world that works for all. God bless you. Riches, blessings, always. MarthaCreek.com, unity.org. All right, and now it's time for our interview. And just a note, Raymond Anderson was going to join us, but he's having a little weather in his area. There's a tornado warning, so he may pop in at some point, but I think we can survive for the for the time being uh, with his absence. We'll love him, but you know, we'll survive. Our guest today is Lola Wright, the CEO and executive producer of the Bodie Center in Chicago. And excitingly, she's also online. She's a fierce and loving leader who serves as a lightning rod for personal transformation in service of collecting, in service of collective awakening. One of Lola's great areas of genius is her willingness to practice candor from a place of love and contribution. Lola is a member of the Leadership Council of the Association for Global New Thought, a member of the Chicago Idea Brain Trust, and a May 2019 TEDx Chicago speaker. Her meditation practice and appreciation for stillness is informed by her experience as an ordained minister of ancient wisdom and new thought teachings. Lola's powerful presence is an exquisite experience of passion and purpose. Exquisite experience. I like exquisite ex experience. That's very nicely descriptive. Mm -hmm. Welcome, Lola. Thank you. I'm grateful to be with you. I'm so excited to have you. Um, now, I know there are a lot of changes happening, but I wanted to dive into what you've done at uh, Bodhi Center. And um, uh, it's interesting to me that you call, the, uh, you call yourself the CEO and executive producer of Bodhi Center. You're not totally up there as minister, you know, senior minister of Bodhi Center and all that stuff. Why do you do that? My great desire is to have our work access the widest population of people. And if there's language that feels um, inaccessible, then I want to be mindful of that. I think that a lot of the people that resonate with me and that I resonate with are those that are less interested in a traditional paradigm. And so there's a way that, I mean, you know, minister in and of itself can, has religious connotation. And, um, and quite frankly, like I've gone to too many parties where people say, so what do you do? And I say, oh, I'm a minister. And they're like, 
Uh, what do I talk to you about? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's not, it's not often a word that creates greater connection. And ultimately, I'm interested in greater connection. And so if that language doesn't support that, then throw the language out. Absolutely makes sense. Hey, Raymond, thanks for joining us. Greetings. I will not be going to the land of Oz today. <laughs> that is a good thing. That is a good thing. For sure. I don't have my ruby red slippers, so yeah, no. I know you have them in the closet. Don't Greetings. tell me you don't have them. <laughs> Greetings, Reverend Lola. Hey, I'm so happy to be with you. Great to have you. Thank you. So Bodhi has a community, used to have a community space for services, and that changed. And you had, you, what's really interesting to me about your community is that you've sort of, you've changed the model of what a community can be. Um, can you talk a little bit to that? What happened with the, this community space and, you know, how you evolved? Yeah. So we found out in July, uh, well, probably, I think it may have been like m closer to May of 2019, that we were not going to have our space renewed, like our lease was not going to be renewed on our big theater space. And, you know, we had, we had known that it wasn't quite working for us. And as I looked at both our attendance trends and our giving trends, I just had the sense that doubling down on a Sunday space of that scale was not the best next move for us. I felt uncomfortable personally and on behalf of the organization to, you know, make say a two-year commitment on a big space when, you know, it just, the cultural trends do not support a recurring weekly large group gathering. And I'm so grateful that I listened to my intuition on that because, you know, as you know, um, I have since resigned as the CEO of Bodhi Center. And I'm incredibly grateful that this organization is not carrying a ton of obligation into this next iteration. Bodhi is really free to now become who and what it wants to be next and doesn't have to keep producing just to pay some bills. Like that, that, that is just such a, for all of us, right? It's like, if we're having to produce and create just to pay the rent, it's like, it, it really thwarts your creativity and it confines you. And I just didn't want that for Bodhi. I didn't want that for myself. And so it really gave us an opportunity to reimagine how group gatherings could occur. And so we launched these two projects. One was um, a monthly live experience called House of Bodhi with Lola Wright, which has been wildly successful. We've had five dates at different Chicago music venues. And each, you know, each one has had a full room, multiple gatherings have been sold out. Um, and it's still been a challenge to crack the financial code on this thing. Mm -hmm. and, and sort of what I've come to is, I'm not, I'm not sure that having, say, 10% of the people underwrite 90% of the other people's experience is the best exchange of energy. So in terms of um, what, what you did with the live experiences, I mean, I, I guess I'm wondering, what is community to you now as things have evolved? You know, I, I know we, we traditionally, you know, we have that Sunday service. It comes from a long, long tradition of that. But you're right. People are moving online, especially younger generations are more and more online. And um, our 
that's just not what it seems to be now. What is community to you now? You know, I did a TEDx Chicago talk last year on the future of community in a post-religious society. And they just brought me back to do an interview a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things I said to them in response to that inquiry was that um, I think unless community members take responsibility for the thing they say they want, it will never work. And that's the thing that I have seen over and over and over. People want all kinds of things, but aren't actually willing to contribute what it requires for the thing they say they want to exist. Mm -hmm. and, and so what I've gotten clear of for myself is I'm in some kind of codependent relationship with our community members such that I'm over-functioning and they're under-functioning. Now, that's not globally true. There are certainly exceptions to that. But I no longer want to be in a codependent relationship with a community such that I'm compromising my well-being so that other people can get something. And by the way, that's very, very typical for ministers. Like, that's like core to the pattern, you know? And I'm like, yeah, I'm not, I'm here to disrupt that game. And I don't want to be in collusion with human beings around that anymore. So... I think that part of what needs to exist in the future models of community is actually activating 100% responsibility. And I cannot, I cannot give a single prescription for what that looks like. I was gonna ask for that. I was hoping you would <laughs> yeah. be able to write it down in five seconds or less. Right, but what I know for me is in what, what I am creating next, I am going to be very discerning with who I partner with and the agreements that we have. So the, the definition of agreements that I love is who is going to do what by when. Yeah. yeah and okay. if we, you know, most of us would be served by having very few agreements in our lives because if you actually make agreements with integrity, you can't have that money if you're going to actually fulfill on them. Right. And so I want to have very clear agreements so that I'm in co-committed relationship with the people that I'm creating with, and I can reduce the risk of relational drama. You know, I mean, communities are cesspools for relational drama. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, a, it's like a Petri dish of, you know, all, all everybody's stuff comes to comes to play in the community setting, especially a close community thing. It's just, yeah. it's the nature of humans, it seems. Yeah, but I, I do think that human consciousness is ready to evolve beyond that. You know, like I, I, I was just sharing this with the, someone who studies with me last night. You know, Ernest Holmes says, humanity has learned all that it needs to learn from suffering. Like we really have. Yeah. So if that's in fact true, that we have learned all we need to learn from suffering, then there, there must be a new way and we must take responsibility for activating that new way. So I have a question for you. So there's this uh, young woman that I follow on Instagram and on the 7th of January, she says, safety is an illusion. Mm. I scare myself pretty regularly. This mind of mine can be a scary place to hang out, especially when I'm believing its stories. You know who said that? Yes, Lola Wright. <laughs> I've heard of her. Right. So one of the things that I admire most about you is this willingness to shed the old consciousness and the old paradigms. 
So if the community is going to evolve, then we have to step into that scary place. So like, what encourages you to actually do that? You know, I, my body, my physical body is like a kinesthetic tool for me. It's sort of a tuning fork and I'm pretty related to it as a means of indicating when I'm on track and off track. And so I just have been sensing for a while, like, mm, this isn't it. This isn't it. And what's deeply unnerving is I don't know yet what is it. I mean, I have some sense, but most of us want a guarantee in life before we take the big leap. And I just can look at my history. I've never had that. And most people would not want to live the way I live because I roll the dice pretty regularly. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I don't know, for me, it's sort of an integrity issue. Like I've been, I mean, you know, this was not an overnight decision for me to, to say it's time for me to move on from Bodhi and it's time for Bodhi to get clear on who it wants to be independent of me. Um, that wasn't something that was decided, you know, hastily. And I've been paying attention to my body and my well-being. And if this thing called life does not have to be inside of what I like to refer to as a fall and redemption theology. So if life is not inherently suffering, like I don't believe life has to be a suffering journey. We choose suffering. So then if, if life does not have to be suffering, Lola, you don't have to suffer. Get what? free. What? <laughs> Wait, we're not taught that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not our conditioning. Yeah, I noticed I want to um, pull up this quote that I used at the last House of Bodhi the other night. It's a quote from Audre Lorde, who's a, an incredible Black feminist or was an incredible Black feminist and just brilliant, brilliant thinker. And she says, mm -hmm. this was a, an interview she did in March of 1980. As we get in touch with the things that we feel are intolerable in our lives, they become more and more intolerable. If we just once dealt with how much we hate most of what we do, there would be no holding us back from changing it. This is true with any kind of movement. And what she's speaking to there is most of us are unwilling to get honest enough about how much of our lives are designed inside of obligation and aren't really in alignment with who we want to be on the planet. And what she's speaking to is erotic justice, really. And so the notion of, of eros, this kind of love that's a love of life, is that you actually have to access your feelings. Well, if you start to get in touch with what you hate, it will provoke a disruption in your life because it will provoke your feelings. You'll have to move out of the intellect into the emotional body and the physical body and deal with what's here. I think that that's actually the biggest challenge that the New Thought Movement has is people are so lodged in their mental body. And right, it, I hear you. I'm going to cut you and be, uh, yeah, be yeah. rude and say we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back on Big Universe. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. 
Welcome back to a slightly off-kilter look at spirituality. This is Big Universe with Jim Lefter and Reverend Raymond Anderson. We're back on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. We're speaking with Lola Wright of the Bodhi Center. And um, continue what you were saying. I'm sorry I interrupted you there. Yeah, no, 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 that's okay. It's just, I, you know, I we have we have, you know, and tr certainly true in our culture, right? We live from the neck up and our minds become these overactive muscles. And what Audre Lorde is really speaking to is invoke or invite your emotional body, your feeling state. And if you actually got in touch with your feeling state, you would start to notice how out of alignment you are with who you're here to be. And then you would have no other choice but to deal with that. And I think that, you know, I'm very drawn to like the shadow of the subconscious because I think that's really where the, the juicy work is. And I actually think that is the brilliance of these teachings is if you actually are willing to go into the darkness and look at that, which you can't easily distinguish and begin to shine the light there. Wow. What could we then create? Right. right. So do you think that that's one reason why, you know, Holmes said, treat and move your feet. Do you think that that's one reason why the move your feet part very seldom comes to be? Because it calls us to be more emotionally involved? Yeah, and it, it, it calls us, to, yeah, it calls us to deal with the discomfort. You know, I mean, look, we can just look at, at some of the statistics of who is attracted to this work. And there's a way that you can really sanitize the conversation and you can really keep it very safe and very um, like in the realm of spiritual platitudes. Mm. And it has, um, I, I don't think that that was ever really what was intended, quite frankly, right. by some of the early thinkers and writers. And I mean, I always say, I mean, it was actually a very radical movement. Yeah, they were radicals. That's for sure. Yeah, they yeah. were. <laughs> yeah. Curtis Hopkins was no nonsense. Right. Yeah. Where do you see us moving, you know, especially with um, a lot of the things that are going on politically and socially and just, you know, uh, fear seems to dominate a lot of you know, life. Right um, where do you encourage or invite the movement to go? I think that it's really a gift because the unconscious is coming into consciousness. Right. And so it, it's like our ability to withstand discomfort. You know, I, I was really, I was talking about this recently, like the, the most challenging students I find working with are those that have sort of a, um, a three-stooled existence involving privilege, fragility, and entitlement. And when you put those three together, man, that's a hard code to crack. Hmm. So I think it's, it's for all of us to look and go, where am I so fragile that I can't withstand difficult conversations? Hmm. Where am I so entitled that I don't want to be bothered? You know, where have I enjoyed such privilege that this is just too confrontational for me? I mean, it's like, that is like, that I mean, that is actually what has gotten us to where we are today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You talk about the. Uh, I'm sorry, Rama. I said that's good stuff. I like that. <laughs> yeah, 
Well, kind of dovetailing into that a little bit and getting into something that's a little more controversial, I think, is the seven word ban response that you guys mm. had. And I'm sure, you know, political activism to, to a large extent. But can you tell me a little bit about that and, and your response to all that? I, um, I know that, uh, well, I can say that vulnerable is one of the things, and I think that's what we were speaking to a, a second ago. But tell yes. me about that. So I was, um, a couple of years ago, I was at a wedding in Mexico at the super elite resort. And a man named Carl Lentz, I found myself in a teeny little cabana with this rock star pastor, Carl Lentz, who's Justin Bieber and Ariana Grande and Gail King's pastor. He's, he's the big guy at Hillsong in New York. And a friend's son goes to his church and, and she said, oh, Lola, you and Carl should talk. And I was like, eh, gosh. I don't think that's a good idea. And, uh, and I was like, all right, here we go. And so he's like, well, tell me what this Bodhi thing is. And I said, well, it's a center for individuals that are interested in having a provocative conversation about the evolution of consciousness and awakening. And he's like, well, who is Jesus to you? Which is almost <laughs> like reliably the early question that comes right. forward. And I said, right. Jesus is a master teacher and a demonstration of the potentiality of humanity. I don't see him as the savior. I see him as a, an, a model of who we are here to be. Of course, that's very disruptive to, that, to his theological perspective. Mm -hmm. And I said, let me ask you a question, Carl. What is your community's um, orientation to uh, queer people in leadership? And what is your community's orientation to queer people um, being married? And he was incredibly skillful in dancing around my inquiry and ultimately never answering it. Hmm. And right around that time was when the CDC released the seven word ban, which was essentially this, this notion that if you want to increase probability for funding from the existing presidential administration, you would be served by not using these words in your funding requests. And some of those words were transgender, diversity, evidence-based, science-based, vulnerable, fetus, um, I don't remember what the other one was, but, and then we ultimately ended up adding the word immigration. And they were essentially all words that, you know, are very um, current in terms of like, they seem to create this divisive experience. And so I just really felt like, wow, having this conversation with Carl, I realized like there's a way that we as Bodhi assume that people know where we stand on some of these issues. And I felt like it was important to actually be explicit and not just assume that you know where we stand. A number of interesting things happened. I mean, um, the word fetus was probably the most upsetting word for people. Interesting. Really interesting. I mean, you know, it, it really upset people. And essentially, I don't, I don't have the, the statements in front of me, but the statement were for fetus was essentially like, we trust that each person has authority over their uterus and that they are like led and guided by the spirit of life within them to determine what is right and true for their body. And 
It was interesting for our board to really grapple with the comfort or discomfort around making a public statement on reproductive rights. And, you know, my position was, look, at the end of the day, if we start legislating people's bodies, we may as well go back to slavery. Like, I mean, the bottom line is that no external authority should be putting legislation around one person's body, period. That is, that is antithetical to the basic philosophy that you have the presence of the infinite within you, that you can tap into it, that you can trust it, that you can learn from it, that it can lead you, that it can guide you. If we believe that we have to legislate people's bodies, then we're essentially saying that, in fact, that's not true. We can't trust you. You're a moron. And we need to instill an external authority figure, like an externalized God, or in this case, the government. And that just doesn't work. I, I believe that that is in contrast to the very um, principles of this teaching. Agreed. And, you know, it, it created a lot of, um, I, I would say the vast majority of people were deeply drawn to our willingness to have explicit conversation. It was a, a much smaller percentage of people that were unwilling. And in fact, as, as I've been working with the board to, as I've been working with the board, uh, <laughs> Siri Siri, yeah, Siri has a thought um, <laughs> about that. But as I've been working with the board to, um, you know, design my departure, one of the things our board president has said very consistently is that she just feels like those statements of belief were one of the, has been one of the most important contribution, contributions we have made to the history and the legacy of this organization. And so just even though it was, it, it, it created some um, discomfort it's something that I think from a leadership perspective, she and I for sure felt very strongly about. And that's, that's very powerful. Raymond, can I mention what you've experienced recently with uh, a church that uh, oh, yeah. yes. invited you to, to speak? I, I'm, I, I just wanted to hear you out on that. Yeah, okay. Uh, so I was recently asked, and I'm not gonna say any names, um, but I was recently asked to be guest minister somewhere. And I agreed like two, three months ago but this past Wednesday, got the you know confirmation thing saying, here's where you park, here's where you do whatever. Oh, and don't talk about any of these things in bold. Gender, sexual orientation, politics, age, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. So like, Isn't that amazing? So as a black gay man who's 53, I can't oh. talk about my experience because then that intersection of those three things is going to be addressed. So I'm like, what the, what the, what the? So yeah, you edit that. We we can't uh, we can't say words like that on this show. <laughs> so I, I'm, see, I'm editing what you're already saying. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, bouncing off of that because I know that you are very well connected in like so many different areas of spirituality and religion. Is that the norm that you find even within New Thought? that we don't want to cross that line and like you said make such public announcements of this is where we stand this is what we believe yeah well if i can be so bold i mean i have only ever experienced that in white communities oh wow so i mean i mean i think that you just have to call that out like you know 
I mean, that may not be exclusively true. I mean, I, I, I suspect that there may be other communities that, you know, have their own homophobia and stuff like that, of course, right? But, but that, what you described there is whiteness. That's all it is. It's literally just, it, it's what I was talking about. It's the fragility. We actually, you know, white people have been, con and I, you know, I know this is going to upset some people, but if you can actually hear this, as just an invitation, just take a deep breath as I'm about to say this and notice if your tendency is to get defensive. And my, my invitation to whomever is listening to this is just listen to what I have to say and then ask, how could what she's saying be true? Just how could it be true? Right. Keep your mind in a state of openness and curiosity. My experience is that white people have been domesticated to have a very low threshold for challenging conversations, specifically around the area of race. And then, I mean, I could break down how all of that relates to gender and to uh, sexual orientation and that sort of thing. But I mean, the, you know, I, I, I have a project called Normal White People and I have, I sp I have spent much of my adult life hanging out in communities of color and extricating myself from the white community because I have sort of a, I have historically had an intolerance um, for the stamina around these conversations or the lack thereof. But what I've come to understand over the last several years is that that actually does not contribute to transformation at all. If I just say, I can't deal with these people. And so for me now, I actually think one of the areas of life that I feel very called to work in is supporting white people in lovingly awakening to how we have colluded around the state of conversation and lived experience in this country and how racism, homophobia, transphobia, ageism, sexism, classism. I mean, that when, when the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King was talking about the beloved community, he said the triple threat of evil is racism. And the way he defines racism, the way the King Center defines racism, it includes ageism, transphobia, homophobia, classism, sexism. Okay. He said racism, poverty, and militarization. And if we don't address those three things, which I believe are three powerful demonstrations of the belief in separation, if we don't address poverty, racism, and militarization, rest assured oneness will only ever be a nice navel-gazing concept. Ooh. Wish I had a tambourine right now. <laughs> yeah, that's powerful, though. So I have a question for you, Raymond. What did you do when you got that, that email? So I drafted an email back because uh, and I almost said, so drafted an email to send back, um, but knowing they, the, this particular group never responds in a timely manner. Uh -huh. Chances are, and even if it's a call or whatnot, getting a response before Sunday, chances are. So when I show up on Sunday, I'm going to just have to ask questions and say, so when did this new policy, because when I spoke here like the five times before, this wasn't, what changed? Oh, and just so you know, if this is still in effect, the next time you want me to be here, I'm going to say no next time. Yeah. 
like within this short window, I'm not going to do that because I've already told people and, but for me to be in an integrity, yes, do this again. Yeah. So to answer your question, um, have I ever, you know, uh, bumped into that? I would suspect communities like that would never even consider bringing me in to speak. Yeah, but I, I would like to also know that, that my interest in, in having these conversations is not just to kick up a bunch of dust. You know, my interest is really let's have the difficult conversations because if we can develop our spiritual maturity such that we can have the difficult conversations, then we can actually transform the false beliefs that keep us stuck in this cycle of separation. Right. Right. There's a book right there, The Spiritual Maturity IQ. Yes. Spiritually mature we are. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So it's interesting to me. I, I love that you're kicking up dust. And and my question, I guess, is, you know, related to everything that's going on right now in the world, at least to ha- how it appears to be, is, um, is this a time in our culture and our lives that's, you know, the dust is getting kicked up and, you know, we either address it or we don't address it. What What's your feeling? What's going on with that? Well, I fundamentally believe that the evolutionary impulse of consciousness is always expanding. So I just want to start by saying that even, and, and it's not linear. And so it will look at times. I want it to be linear. Come on. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That would be great. (laughs) Me too. Me too. And it's just not linear, linear thinking is of this world, not of this more dynamic reality. So I do, I, I am, um, I am certain in, in, in my soul that we are evolving in an expansive way. Now that I don't also believe is, uh, an invitation to just kick back. So, um, I don't know what each of ours is to do. Like we all have a unique way that we are to support our own evolution and the evolution of those we encounter. So there, again, there's not a one prescription, but I think that like we each owe it to ourselves and humanity to get rigorously honest around the ways that we BS ourselves, Mm -hmm. the ways that we keep ourselves entrenched in falsehoods. And so, you know, I just have to be in an ongoing um, inquiry as to the ways that I'm holding myself back. And so for me, like if I had, if I were to stay at Bodhi at this point, that would just be me safing myself. And I'm not here to play a game of safety. That's not the big idea for my life. How can I keep my life as manageable as possible. No. (laughs) Right, right. Which also doesn't mean you need to put yourself in traumatic situations, but you know, we're here to grow and evolve and change. And if if we are living in a holographic reality, and if all of life is a reflection of our own consciousness, then even the most irritating circumstances are pointing to something in us whether it's get up off your duff and participate 
whether it's look at your own structure of beliefs, your own cosmology of thought and get honest. I was recently um, in Park City, Utah for the Sundance Film Festival and stayed in a home with a bunch of people I know. And one person had far too much to drink one night and um, felt compelled to share with me all of their aversions that they have to me. Oh, my. And yeah, and uh, so I just was like, okay, here we go. So <laughs> I'm gonna just breathe and listen. And I'm aware that I'm not interested in creating additional drama for myself or the group. So let me just be with this. And so um, she went She went on to say, you know, how 95% of how I exist and occur for her feels like selling snake oil and that, 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 that. And so there's one way of being, right, where I could be like, this woman really must have lost her mind. And like... <laughs> you know, get really righteous about it and then start looking for all of the evidence around, you know, what's wrong with her and how this is such a massive projection, all of which, by the way, may be true, but that's her business. I'm interested in my business. You know, Byron Katie says there's my business, there's your business and there's God's business. Mm -hmm. So if I'm deeply curious about this holographic reality and the mirror that is life before me at all times, then the question that I would ask myself is, how is what she's saying true? How it, what's the wisdom in what she's here to feed me? She's telling me that 95% of my beingness, she has an aversion to because she experiences me as selling snake oil. I can understand, I, like if I can relax my ego enough, I can hear what she's saying even if I don't like the delivery. And so I hear her as my teacher to refine my communication, my way of being on the planet. Well, we have about three minutes left, three, three and a half minutes. I just want to touch on one more thing. And that is um, you're, you're looking towards, you're reaching towards the next thing for you. What is that experience like? You know, how do you, how do you know to get to that place? Cause I know I'm in that place sometimes and a lot of us are in that place. I think we could use some help. What, what works for you? Well, I'm watching my propensity to want to get to solution. Like I'm watching the tendency in myself like, oh gosh, you know, I'm noticing fear. I'm noticing anxiety. I, I got to figure out what I'm doing. You know, I have to have a good pitch to tell people when people say, well, what are you going to do after Bodhi? And I can very eloquently and powerfully articulate what I'm going to do next. And I'm just watching that one in me that scares myself over and over and over again. And I'm like, Lola, you don't actually have to do that. This could be a really, really powerful time for you to get further still, listen more deeply, not as a means of avoiding what's next, but really listen. And so that's my practice right now is just paying close attention to anything I say yes to. Am I agreeing to speak at this place? Am I agreeing to doing this coaching thing? Am I agreeing to facilitating this workshop from a place of scarcity or from a place of inspiration? And if I'm doing it from scarcity, I better check myself. And it doesn't mean I still don't go forward with it, but it's like, pay attention. Look how seduced you are. Wow. <laughs> Bear. <laughs>
and much appreciated. So thank you for, you know, shining your light in the way that you do. Thank okay. you. Give me one more tool. One more tool towards anything you want to inspire people about. You got about a minute. Okay. Uh, my favorite tool for, for a long time now is what I call, pre call presencing. So it's, it's tuning into your body intelligence, your emotional intelligence, and your, your mind intelligence. And so it starts with body sensation. What are you noticing in your actual body? Free of story. Swirling in my belly, tightening in my shoulders, clenching in my jaw. Just that's what's here now. Feeling state, scared, joy, sadness. Next thought is, I wonder what the rest of my day looks like. And my experience is that if you can be in a regular practice of noticing your body sensation, your feeling state, and the next thought that's here now, you can create a little bit of spaciousness between you and your reactivity. You and I are not here to be walking reactions. We're here to be the living presence. And if we are dislocated from our own embodied experience, it's much more challenging to do that. So get out of other people's business, get in your business, and get highly related to your body sensations, your feeling states, and your next thought, not as a seduction, but as a tool of awareness. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us, Lola. It's been so wonderful to have you. I'm very, very grateful to be with you. How can people contact you or, or look at what you're doing next? Uh, yeah, check out my website, lolawright.com. It's about to get a uh, refresh in the next couple of months. Sign up for my newsletter there. I'd love to stay in touch with you. And I love social media. So follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Lola P. Wright. Awesome. And they can, of course, check out what's going on at Bodhi Center at bodhicenter.org. Yep, you got it. Uh, if you... If you'd like more information about Raymont, go to RaymontAnderson.com. I've got premium video courses from amazing instructors on YouThriveHere.com, which is my site. Uh, join me there, I hope. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next time on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on The Angel Tarot Show, exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.